it is essential for us to continue to grow. I think without it, we will be stagnant and our relevance will subside. Sometimes you just need to put on a big, big girl pants, so to say, and your business hat and get on with it. Hi, and welcome back to Careers 2.0. I'm Philip, and today I'm speaking with Kimberly Espinel. Kimberly started online just by sharing her recipes, like many others, but she found her niche elsewhere. Now she's a food photographer and an educator, and she has a very great eye for content. Enjoy the episode. I think I want to start with um, your journey uh, because it's uh, it's been a long one uh, from uh, being a social worker, right, and, and having a nine-to-five to transitioning. And what I like about your journey is that you talk a lot about taking it step at a time, you know, not just jumping all in, but taking a step at a time and pivoting when necessary. Um, and, but you've been doing it for a while. And I wonder, do you feel like you've arrived? Like being a food photographer and educator in the space is something that that's it, and you want to do it for the next 20 years, you found your place? So I never try to look too far ahead, if that makes sense, and just really um, want to be in the moment and appreciate the moment. And I think, for example, like Instagram, TikTok are really good metaphors for that. Like when you feel you figured it out and you in your groove, they change the algorithms and then, you know, or they bring in a new way of creating like reels or, you know, video content, which... When I started nine years ago, that that you know that didn't even exist, you know. So I just think like I definitely don't think I have arrived. Like I feel there's still so much I want to do, but I'm also gonna give myself the permission that if I get to a point where I'm not enjoying what I'm doing anymore, it's also fine. You know what I mean? Like I want to do this for as long as I love it, for as long as I feel like I can contribute in a kind of positive way. And if a day comes where I don't feel that anymore, I'll find something else. <laughs> I think that's the beauty of the time that we live in. You know, if I think about my parents, maybe your parents too, I don't know how old or young you are, but you know, they got a job and that was it for life. And we're in this, you know, in this time where we can pivot, we can change. Like there's like, there's so much to do and so much to explore. So you actually talk a lot about it. And, and I agree with you about pivoting and, uh changing things, adjusting things, but also you talk and a lot of creators talk about patience, right? Because it, it all takes time. You cannot explode instantly. It rarely happens. Um, and if it happens, sometimes it's not the best thing. We talked a lot about going viral, for example, can lead you in the wrong direction altogether. So I, I wonder what is the balance sort of, do you have some sort of indicators or you had in your journey that you thought, okay, this is the moment that I should give up on it. And this is the moment that I should pivot a little bit. How do you look at the signs that come your way and where the signs come from? Yes. So as somebody who is very heart-centered, I'm very much, I know that that isn't always honest, if that makes sense. Like it's not always the only thing I can listen to. And so because of that, I really also let stats guide me a lot. So I have, for example, on Instagram, I have a, a business account. I have Google Analytics installed on my uh, website, you know, those kind of things. So rather than going, oh, I feel this, 
and maybe my feeling is right, but then I always go and check, well, what is the, what are the stats actually saying? So, you know, I think, I, I think it's really good to give yourself at least six to 12 months to play, to experiment, to see what you like, what you're good at, to get better at, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. And then also at the end of every week or at the end of every month, actually go into your analytics and see what resonated, what got the most saves, the most likes, the most free shares. How do I feel about that? Do I want to move and pivot, you know, more into that and, and deliver more of that? Or, you know, do I need to work on the stuff that I really love that maybe didn't resonate and just fine tune it? So I think that's a really um, good way to kind of assess whether you stay the course or whether you need to adjust is to look at what you like, what your heart says, but then also what the stats are telling. I like this time frame of a year. I was actually talking to one creator, Mark Bone, amazing guy, and he had this phrase like, um, take it around the sun once, he said, you know, just give it a year and then see, see how it works. Go, go around the sun once, like go through every season, go around the sun once. Like there's sometimes you'll know a relationship's toxic and you need to get rid of it right away. But if you're like serious about something, if you're like, I really want to know if I want this part of my life, like go around the sun once. What I mean is just a year. Like, And, and I wonder about your milestones, which took you a while, right? From uh, going uh, full-time to part-time and having your child changing your perspective as well uh, on, on your life and how you want to live it. And, and I wonder what were those milestones that it, were the financial mi milestones or just something inside you that led you to, to, to change and, and allowed you to change from part-time creator to full-time creator and so on? I couldn't say like that was the point. There were mm -hmm. lots of little kind of stepping stones along the way. I definitely think getting having brands approach me with an actual budget that they had versus yeah. just, you know, product in exchange. That was like an aha moment. And also you have to understand, like I started nine years ago, it wasn't what it is now. So for a brand to come and say, we would like to pay you to post on your channels, you know, that was still for me at that time, because I was a small account then, you know, like an aha moment, like this is possible. I don't need to have 100,000 followers. I don't need to have 100,000 blog hits. This is even possible where I am. And then that happening more and more. So that really was a big eye opener. I think the second thing was when people started approaching me for me to teach them food photography. That had never entered in my mind because, again, when I started the way that food creators, which is, you know, really the space I'm in, the way that you earned an income was by developing recipes and then working with brands. The idea that there was another, you know, income stream to be had from that had never occurred to me. So now, of course, we have online courses, especially after 2020, we have online courses galore at that time there was not a single online food photography course that I knew of, that I'd ever heard of. And so for somebody to come to me, that was like, okay, wait a minute. Somebody wants okay, someone's to pay me, Jeremy, to teach them food photography. Wait a second. So then I advertised it and then, you know, more students came. So it was, you know, little things like that. Um, I actually think it's really important to earn an income before you go full time so that you know you're not in a position of of desperation if that makes sense like you're in a really strong position you have maybe some money saved up you have still an income stream coming in as you build the other one and it was really only where i saw the path to replacing my my social work income where i was like okay this is for real we can do it do you remember the um 
what kind of I don't know follower level you were at when people started reaching out, when brands started reaching out? Uh, 10K. 10K. Yeah, that's actually something that we observe as well. Is like 10K is a sort of uh, cutoff point where you can actually earn uh, a sustainable a sustainable income. Um, yeah, you, you said people were started coming to you, and I wonder, is that a big factor, uh, the audience that you have and what their desires and wishes are for you to do? Is that what lead your creative process? Because by now you did everything from digital products to courses and, of course, services, right? Um, so, so is that direct response to what people come and ask you for or how much of what I want to do, what you want to do, is there in, in your offer? A mixture. There is definitely a mixture because I love teaching, for example, and that's really where I'd say a good bulk of my income comes from. But I also love creating recipes and that is really maybe the smallest thing. But I, you know, if I had a business, if I had a strictly business hat, I would say, let me move really into teaching, have lots and lots of courses. Let me not do any recipe development because that's, I'm going to make more money that way. But then my creative well would run dry, you know, like I need to, I need to do things that, you know, allow me to pay my bills and and thrive and live the way I want to live. But then I also need to do something that, you know, feeds my creative soul and also experiment. So there's things I do where I'm like, I don't know if people are going to love this. Like I love interiors, for example. I don't, you know, I don't know if my audience, the audience I've built loves it, but I love it. So I'm going to do that in parallel. Um, so it's a it's a nice little mix. Do you feel sometimes trapped by the specific niche that you're in and that you would like to sort of get out of it or just at least in part maybe start a new account with the other passion that you have? Yes, I have thought about this. I think, you know, if I had to do it all again, I would start the way that I did, niche, and then branch out and widen much, much sooner. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I think to grow both financially and also just in terms of growing your audience, I think it is helpful to have a really strong place in the market. So have a really strong brand, a really strong problem that you solve. You know, I think that's a really good place to start. But then I also think there that sitting there for too long, like almost like a comfort zone, can come back to haunt you. And I, I wish I had started just the... Um, the kind of branching out much, much sooner than I did. But, you know, who knows? Like, maybe if I'd done that, I, we wouldn't be speaking today. And, you know, like, I think maybe sometimes things happen for a reason and it's all good too. So I am thinking about starting a new account, but I'm still hopeful I can I can weave it. I can weave it into what I have now. Got it. Um, can you Can you split a little bit percentage-wise where your incomes come from now versus where it did at the very beginning? Like how much comes from brand deals, how much from uh, services and the products, uh, digital products and courses? Yes. So I have to say it's very much like this because um, right now I would say about 50% of my income comes from actually doing food photography work. And that was very, very deliberate. So, you know, I really... I really wanted to establish myself as a food photographer here in the UK where I'm based. And so that's really where I put a lot of my efforts. I would say maybe another, gosh, maybe another 30% comes from my digital courses. So that's my second big 
uh, income stream, and then 15% from products. That includes my book and all my digital products. And then the the, the last remaining bit is like um, brand deals and things like that. And that was very deliberate because, again, you know, you have to think, I've been in this game for a really long time. When When I started as a creator, brands really had their agenda so to say they had envisioned what they wanted you to do and what they wanted you to say and I just always it didn't feel honest to me so I never promoted a product I didn't believe in but like being very salesy or um you know I don't know like like just the way that they wanted or they wanted their product to be in the first photo just right like nobody wants a commercial in their feed and now, so I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to create my own products. I want to build my own brand. I want to promote my own brand, my own services, my own things. Um, now I see that, and, and again, I think like the rise of TikTok actually has helped with that. Now I see brands understanding that creators understand their audience much better than the brands do. And the value that we bring as creators, um, they're taking that much more seriously so the last few brand deals that I have done, I had way more creative freedom than I did five years ago. So as I move through this year, as I move into 2024, I'd love to do more brand collaborations um, because I think it's such, it's a much more creative landscape now than it was when I, when I kind of said no, you know, so that, that kind of income split, uh, could, I could see shifting again. Do you care much about um, which kind of product uh, requires your time involvement uh, versus uh, sort of, you know, passive income type of stuff? So like that you would like to, for example, make less work that requires your personal presence and be able to passively uh, just earn money through the courses. That's sort of like a goal or not necessarily. So in a way, of course, of course, yes, in some way, but I think I haven't found that to be the case. So there are like, I don't have to promote my online course and we, you know, we have a nice flow of sales from that, but I wouldn't say that I'm not doing anything. I'm still creating content. Maybe that content piece doesn't say buy this, but I'm still there to remind people that I exist to maybe make them go, I love what Kimberly is doing. I want to be able to do the same. Let me check out. See what I mean? So there's, it's, it's very like the stream of content creation is never ending and is not passive. Um, and therefore, um, nothing in the online space that I know of is passive. I think the only way that it could be passive is if you ran ads, but even ads, I think there's so much tweaking you need to do and so much adjusting and changing the photo and the color and um, adjusting your funnel. And so I'm always wary of people who are like, you know, I made money in my sleep because it's, it, there's always something you have to do. You always have to market in some way and be present in some way to really hit the numbers, you know, to hit substantial numbers. You mentioned there uh, a magic word called funnel. And I wonder how much do you think about funnel when creating content? How much do you think about our audience profile or um, your ideal customer uh, when creating any piece of content? And do you have already in your mind 
where that content will lead, whether it's to potential services or email list, for example, or products themselves. Yes, I do. So my ideal um, customer is very simple. It's me six years ago. So I always think about what did I need and what did I want six years ago? So from that is very simple. But yes, I do. So what I do is, for example, my next big launch is my mastermind. So I have a mastermind and mentoring program for food photographers, food content creators. And so that is really our next big launch. So it means that for that to uh, go well, I need to have all the content that I you know, promote between now and then have like a business twist. So on the podcast, all the episodes we pre-recorded that are about the business side of food photography, they're going to be aired then. So that it ties in with the offer we have in the end. Um, our opt-ins that we're pushing to the fore this quarter are all, you know, about marketing and selling and pitching. So yes, I do think about it. That's not to say that all the things like in between that, I can do something, a recipe for a delicious cocktail or something. But, you know, the core stuff all leads there. And and for me, that consists of content, opt-in, mailing list, offer. I think it's, it's something I, we are working a lot on behind the scenes because I think I just did it very much by feeling. I think we should I think and then actually we got somebody on the team who's like let's dig down in the numbers let's look at which opt-in is working which like really get stuck in the weeds so I think we're fine-tuning it and just getting better at that whole process um, as we speak. Would you have done it earlier this number crunching um, I don't know, a few years ago or for people who are just starting would you say maybe better idea is to just do just go out there, put your knowledge, put your expertise, your product even out there and your content. And then when you see some traction, start analyzing the numbers or no, as early as possible. I think there's, it depends what your sticking point is. I My, my sense from my students anyway, the mm-hmm. biggest sticking points for a lot of people is to get started and to get into a rhythm of some sort of creation, putting yourself out there trial error I you know I feel like the vast majority of people that's where they get stuck they get very in their head this is not perfect where they film something and then they delete it because it's not good enough or so-and-so did it better or people are going to say so you know if you're if you recognize yourself in that then I would say really focus on just doing creating being getting better posting it even if it's not perfect Mm -hmm. if you're already in a rhythm like if that's not your sticking point if you're a quick start and you, you know, you create content on the fly and you've been posting, then for you, maybe that getting stuck in the weeds and being a little bit more strategic is the way to go. I was never, I don't, I'm not, what I realized is that nobody cares about me. (laughs) Nobody watches my Instagram stories as often as I do. Nobody, you know, like I really understood that very early on that we're so tiny in what is the universe. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're, we're so, I guess no point getting stuck in my head. So i never had a problem around content creation. That was never my problem. I never, I never worried about writing something silly in my blog post. I, 
I knew nobody was going to read the first 100 blog posts, so it was fine, you know. But I, I do think I let, I didn't think about SEO. I didn't think about keywords. I did for a very long time when I think for me, that would have been um, a really important piece much, much earlier. Yeah, you have no idea how much I uh, identify myself with what you said, with with the first person that that just needs <laughs> to put themselves out there and do it. By the way, I wanted to say that I could use some some uh, mentorship and, and business coaching, and that's something that you mentioned that you invested a lot. I think I I heard you say that you uh, spend like five figures in different courses and mentorships uh, to learn yeah. sort of business skill aside from the creative skills, and I wonder. Maybe what was the most important investment uh, that you made that helped you the most in, in the process? So for me, again, because I essentially, when all is said and done, I'm really a creative, a heart-led creative. Mm -hmm. That's really who I am. I'm not naturally a businesswoman. I was a social worker, which is a very heart-driven thing. And now a food photographer, which is very feel and very creative and artistic. So sitting down, looking at stats and doing profit margins, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, projecting where we invest, like that was not something that came naturally to me. So investing, in fact, in my first business coach, um, that was incredibly helpful because what that helped me identify is how um, how much I was in my own way in my, how I was pricing my work mm -hmm. and how I was valuing my work. So that was really like a shift. And then I also did a mastermind, which was with uh, a business mastermind for creators. But um, my coach there was, you know, really knowledgeable when it came to Facebook ads and funnels and things like that. So just really seeing how he broke down the pros, like how he approached that um completely changed everything like for example to give you a very basic example if somebody signed up to my newsletter they would get a thank you for signing up to the newsletter they would get their pdf mm -hmm. and then they'd be in the newsletter that was prompts that was mm -hmm. it versus now where we take them through a, a little mini funnel and and you know so they sign up they get their pdf and then they are taken on a journey before they join the mailing list. And that journey will include an offer to buy one of my courses or my presets or whatever the opt-in is that they created. We tailor um, the offer in the funnel to that specific PDF. That all came out of being in this mastermind. Never, you know, again, I'm saying this and it sounds really basic, but 10 years ago, nobody was doing yeah. this kind of stuff. Nobody's doing this. And so, and also tweaking, like at the end of the month, has anybody actually bought this course in this particular funnel? If not, why not? Do we need to change the wording? Do we need to change the offer? Do we need, you know, like those kind of things, I got all of that from the mastermind. So for me, those were those kind of business things to, like, I think it's always good to spend money in the areas that you're weakest at. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that business side was always my weak spot and investing there. Like every investment I made there, I made back 10x. So you, you mentioned multiple things that I, I, I want to touch upon, but I would actually like to dig a little deeper in this uh, email funnel because I hear it all the time. And me, 
working in e-commerce a lot, I know the power of email funnels. And and I wonder, what did you settle on? Can you tell us how does it look right now? How many emails are you sending? Which email is the one that is driving the most sales? Where do you start your pitch? Is it email number two or number f- number four? Can you can you give us a little breakdown there? Yes. So I would say, you know, this is also something I learned when I was in the mastermind, which was very interesting is I don't, so a lot of, so the highest earners in my mastermind, because the mastermind was from people who earn six figures up to multiple seven figures. So it was quite a wide range. And, you know, I, I sat down and the people who were in that one to five million income bracket, what did they do differently? One of the things is they emailed way more often than I did. (laughs) So many of them did two emails a week, some of them three. So, you know, I had to think, if I send more emails, will I sell more? Yes, I'm sure I will. But does that feel right for me and my brand and how I show up and what feels authentic and genuine? No. And, and also a lot of the people who were doing three emails a week, they weren't creating content on social, their main channel, like they had mailing lists of 400, 500,000 people, you know, email was their content creation channel. That's not me. I have a podcast. I have, um, you know, social media. So, uh, you know, it just didn't feel a hundred percent right. And the same goes for, um, you know, when you're in a launch. So what I do is I do usually three emails in a launch week. A lot of my colleagues were doing five emails, so one email a day, and then on the final day, up to three emails. Did they make more sales? Yes, they made more sales. Would Is it right for me? No. <laughs> so I can give you my numbers and I can tell you how often and what I do, and, but I really think it's about a balance of what's going to get you to your financial goal how have you primed your audience and what feels good you know and that is something like that's one thing that students often complain to me about i never give a i always give a you need to experiment and find out for yourself what you you know what's right for you have you ever experienced negative comments from your audience uh, that you're being too salesy or too annoying in any way Yes, I have. Um, so I would say I can count it on one hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so considering I send an email once a week um, and I have, you know, thousands upon thousands of subscribers for five people to come and say, this is too much. Nothing. It's a little, right? <laughs> and also if I look at my unsubscribe rates, it's tiny. Um, it's, we have tiny unsubscribe rate a very high open rate. So I'm, I think, um, I wouldn't say I don't care, Mm -hmm. but as long as I sell in integrity and I sell something I really believe in, uh, I, I, you know, I often think that people who don't like to be sold to don't really understand. They're they're probably not running courses themselves. They're not, financially in the position I want to be in. Um, So then I think like, why do I need to take their advice? And also I'm not for everybody. Not everyone's going to like what I'm selling. Not everyone's going to like my sales strategies. 
It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. But I never said to you, like, we are like nothing. We're nothing. But, we're but, nothing. But, <laughs> we're nobody. Look at the universe where you couldn't even with a microscope find us. So I, I don't, I really, it doesn't bother me. Um, one, one other thing that you said, uh, and I need to ask before I forget, um, is that it the business coaching helped you price yourself better. And I immediately uh, hear uh, thousands of other entrepreneurs uh, saying that at the beginning, I definitely underpriced myself. So can you, can you tell us, it, it was, that was like that, I understand in your case as well. Um, what was the difference and what was the mind shift that you needed in order to ask for more and how much more? Would you double your prices, 10x your prices? So I think for me, and I think if you have a, maybe I don't want to stereotype, but as a man, perhaps you don't feel this, but as a woman, I can say, and also see this a lot from my um, business mentees that I work with. Most of them are women, not all. But I think as women, we're always concerned for making others feel good. We want others to feel happy. We're people pleasers. So my pricing was very much about, I want to be nice to another person. I want to offer something that they can afford. And I think that my business coach said something and she was like, you know, what about what makes you feel good? <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Like, I didn't really think about me. You know, I was so concerned about what others. And I was like, well, yeah, I feel depleted. And I feel empty, you know, if I undersell myself. And that was a big shift to think about. I need to think about the customer, but I also need to think about what's going to fuel me and what's going to allow me to build and grow my business and to thrive and feel energized. So um, that was that was like a complete shift. Like it sounds so small, but it was really a revelation. And then the second thing that... Um, she advised me to look at was just like, just because you like doing something doesn't mean that it doesn't take a lot of finances to run your business. And, you know, for us creators, we need to have a good camera. We need to pay our monthly subscription to Premiere Pro or Lightroom or whatever that is. Uh, we need to get new camera cards. We the electricity, the phone bill, like, you know, there's so many costs that when you go into, you don't realize just to run, you know, which goes back to your question about making money whilst you sleep. There's so many costs that amount that if you don't build that into your pricing, you will end up with a loss, you know, or at least nothing that really represents all the hard work that you've put in. And then the other thing is, the knowledge that you have, I think we undervalue because it comes quickly or easy or, um, you know, fast to ask, we undervalue, like even your skill now, interviewing somebody on a podcast is a skill. It comes probably naturally to you. Maybe you're listening, <laughs> but, you know, listening, knowing when to stop a guest from talking, pacing, organizing questions, prepping. Not everybody can do this. Do you think I should ask for a raise? <laughs> <laughs> you know, probably we all do. These are really particular skills and we don't see mm -hmm. it like that because it comes easily. And so that was another turning point for me to think like, actually, I'm going to do this pretty awesome. Like, I need to charge for that. Yeah, that, that's a very, very healthy. I may not have a problem uh, of underpricing, but definitely seeing um, your own value in a, in, a, in a place that, that 
comes naturally, uh, it's it's very difficult for sure. Um, I wonder, uh, as you have big experience, what makes a good business coach or a mentor uh, when you're looking for one? So what I find, um, first thing, they need to be where you want to be. So that could be financially or just in terms of the level of success they have achieved. I don't find it helpful to go with a coach who's just starting out, who maybe has very good intentions, but they they just haven't reached the point that you want to reach. Um, I also think it's very helpful to find somebody that you resonate with. So what I would recommend is to listen to podcasts of perspective coaches that you want to work with and just see, you know, whose approach kind of aligns with what you want to do. Um, and then I think this is one of the things I haven't done for my next coach. I, I will do that is for us creators. I think it's really helpful to have a coach who also has a big social media presence. So a lot of coaches do are very good with email marketing. They're very good with Facebook ads. Um, but many of them actually on podcasting too. So if those are things that you want to do, then there's going to be so many coaches that you'll find, but it's very small percentage that really understand YouTube or, you know, Instagram or TikTok. Like it's a very small percentage. And if that either one of those platforms is where you kind of want to shine, then to find somebody who really gets that is, is, is vital. Um, I want to talk about Instagram. Uh, that's your uh, home, basically, on, on online. Um, and I was thinking that the landscape and Instagram itself changed quite significantly. You're a food photographer and Instagram used to be e picture first kind of platform. Yeah. But it is changing and TikTok is appearing. And do you feel sort of pressure to go with the algorithm and the flow and now start making more videos and more reels and how does it change your business? I was very upset when that happened. And I kind of felt, I, I mentioned this on one of my podcast episodes, I kind of felt like used and abused. <laughs> you know, like we were, you know, our our currency, aka photos, you know, it was good whilst it lasted. And then when TikTok came, Instagram was like, you know, we don't need you anymore. Now we're going to, you know, court the videographers. So I was very upset for a very long time about that. And also... You know, let's be real, video content takes a lot of time to create. Even just quick quick B-roll mm -hmm. takes a lot of time to create. So um, I was, it took me a while to get my head around it. But what I have noticed is that a lot of people in my industry are still digging their heels in and it's, and I don't think that's helpful. I think it is important to go with the flow and to seize the opportunity because this too shall pass and a new phase shall enter. And whatever that may be, we're going to have to shift and change. So um, I have spent the last kind of two years fine-tuning my style, like starting afresh with photography and really finding my style and finding, again, what resonates with my audience. And I also, I mean, we had a very candid discussion with the team a couple of weeks at the start of the year, actually. And I said, if we only sell online food photography courses... I think the little plantation and the revenues income that we have now will not continue. Like we need to, as the landscape and the demand and this, yeah, everything's changing, we need to change with it. And so for next year, we'll be offering a Reels course specifically for food creators. And I, I, 
I'm looking forward to creating it, but also from again, for head perspective, it is essential for us to continue to grow. I think without it, we will be stagnant and our relevance will subside. So, you know, it is, I just think sometimes after you've had your cry and your straw, um, sometimes you just need to put on the big, big girl pants, so to say, and your business hat and get on with it. And, and that's kind of where I am now. Do you see a direct correlation to the amount of followers you have uh, with the business and money that comes in? Well, no. No, not at all. Um, and there's uh, a big reason for that is um, algorithm and also reach. So um, that, you know, that's something I can and I can't control. Where I have seen a correlation, and that's why all roads always lead to my mailing list, is with my mailing list. So as the mailing list has grown, I have seen an increase in um, sales there. And we, so we have, again, we track everything and most of the sales that we do come from the mailing list. And like a small percent, like maybe 15% come directly from Instagram. Mm -hmm. So it's not to say that the people on the mailing list didn't come by Instagram, many of them did. But when it comes to, you know, cash, paying me it's usually through the mailing list what does help is the more followers i have on instagram the more brands find working with me attractive and also the higher a fee i can command yeah you know so if I, for people who where, where that is their main income stream then it's follower count 100 matters why have you stuck to instagram why haven't you branched out to many other platforms like youtube for example no, I can tell you exactly why. <laughs> I So when I, I hate being in front of the camera. For me, it's torture. I'm a oh, photographer I'm sorry. because I like being... <laughs> no, but you know, it's, um, it's not something that comes to me. I don't enjoy it. It's not... I like being behind the camera. Mm-hmm. I love... I love... And that's what I love. And also that's why I have a podcast. Because... I find it a little stressful. <laughs> so um, I don't mind it. But then that was my thought. I was like, if I start a YouTube channel, which if you're not camera shy, that would like, if I weren't camera shy, that would be where I put my, because YouTube is the most powerful, is the best converter. Mm-hmm. And you can repurpose your content in 120,000 different, like is the best, yeah. 100% hands down, no doubt about it. So if I were camera shy, that's what I would do. Um, but I am. And I thought, you know, really building something. I want to build something that I enjoy and that I thrive and that I'm good at. And I love chatting, as you can see. <laughs> so a podcast was like a natural thing. Um, and Instagram, because it's still visually the most beautiful platform. Yeah, still. It's still visually. And I love beautiful things. I love I love beautiful things. Um, and so that that's why, that's why. Listen, and then I'm double grateful that you agreed to this video interview. <laughs> um, I, I, I can tell you that you're a natural, like the way you speak. I, I wouldn't say that you don't enjoy it. I would expect that you love it actually, because you're so good at it. But um, well, I love, I love teaching. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love teaching. I love sharing. Let's talk about teaching then shortly. Um, you have both courses and you participate in masterminds. 
what is the best form of learning online? Is this the asynchronous type of do it at your own pace uh, courses or being part of a community, uh, doing step by step with you, for example, as, as the leader and teacher? So I can answer that exactly for you because the, my online course, exactly this. So this is something, again, that I did with my very first coach. You know, we were talking about what I love to do, what mm-hmm. people want from me. And one of the things was teaching. And so at that time, I was only doing one-to-one in-person workshops. And then we were thinking about how can we scale this? I could do group workshops and I started doing group sh- workshops and retreats. They take a lot of time to organize. So, you know, you can only do a certain amount in a year. And so that's where we started talking about running an online course. And I said to her, the idea of filming myself is too much. Yeah. And then she suggested I do a live, I teach food photography live on Zoom. So the Zoom is, class is live and then people come and we go over and what have you. And that's why, you know, that's why I made my, the investment in my coach mm-hmm. back tenfold because I was like you know that I can do I can go and zoom I can chat I can prep prepare my lesson plan I can give homework I can do that and so I I did a live online food photography course maybe for around three years so for three years and the completion rate was 85 percent so 85 percent of people who started showed up live did their homework got their certificate and then I used to do it on Saturday mornings to have as many, you know, students as possible because a lot of people still work or what, whatever or have children or blah, blah, blah. And weekends I want to spend with my family. So I, I just got to a point where I, I just, you know, on the number of students, I couldn't do it anymore. So I was like, okay, torture or not, I'm going to, we're going to film this. I now have enough experience. So we filmed the online course. Now the completion rate is somewhere in the region of 30%. Wow. Which is still good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's much better than, you know, your average 30, 35%, but it's not 85%. And I think, I think there's, it's, unless you're super motivated, and I see this, that the students who completed, they have a goal in mind. They know what they want. They're going to strive. They're going to go for it. They're going to get, like, they, they work hard and their transformation is, tangible Mm -hmm. no you have to have that drive you have to have that drive you have to have that commitment we build in a lot of accountability a lot of support but ultimately it needs to come from you if you know that you have a drive that you're self-motivated that you are going to set that time aside come hell or high water you're going to focus on your learning your growth you'll be fine with an online course if you know that the kids the husband the job then I would say do an in-person workshop, do an in-person retreat, do a live where you have to show up, mastermind type sort of accountability situation. Um, because if not, you're going to buy course after course after course. And a lot of people who do this and um, and never complete, never finish it. Yeah. Accountability is the key word. Uh, people need it yes. for sure. A lot of people do. Um, you say we a lot and I wonder... How big is the team? Uh, what are their main roles and how do they help you? And maybe also how the progress into hiring a team went. What was the first thing that you wanted to, uh, to, to give to someone else and delegate? And what, are the, what is the next thing that you will? Yes. So um, the first hire was really by accident. I was really exhausted. 
And I was speaking to, uh, you know, a friend and I was just like, oh my God, I have so much on. I don't know what to do. And she said, well, you know, I'm taking some time out because, you know, she was about to give birth to her first child. And she said, you know, do you need a hand? I was like, okay, yes, I do. And so the first thing I handed over was kind of all the email stuff, uh-huh. so following up, um, booking people in for um, one-to-one courses and workshops and sending, to, you know, all that kind of admin type stuff tracking so that if somebody inquired how many days after do we follow up for not you know that all that kind of stuff i handed to her and she's still on the team um some whatever six years later christina and uh, my second hire came with pinterest pinterest also really big platform for us because it drives traffic to the blog which drives traffic to our mailing list and um I hired a Pinterest manager who uploads everything. Now we even upload, so the reels I create, we upload that to Pinterest as well as I take um, video now. Um, That was my second hire. And then my uh, third hire was um, what we call student coordinator. So somebody who is there in the online courses to answer questions, um, to kind of build it as well, you know, like, all the thinkific stuff, um, and she she does all the uh, mailing list analysis as well. So you know how how much have we grown? How many unsubscribes? All that jazz. And then finally, we have Eleni, and she is the Jackie of all trades. So she will do all the other bits that are outstanding. So she'll help me um, send out contracts. You know, book people in for the podcast yeah. or like. That all that kind of nitty gritty stuff. Um, she helps. She even helps um, kind of write the blog, optimize it for SEO, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Okay, let's move to my favorite part, which is the quick fire round. Uh, I have a few questions, and I'll ask you for very quick answers. And yes. uh, <laughs> and if they are too long, we will cut them out. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, are you a team player or lone wolf? Team player. Take risks or carefully calculate? Carefully calculate. Mobile or desktop? Desktop. Who inspires you most? Too many to name, I think. (laughs) Just one, give me something. Person's coming to my mind, Jasmine Starr. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? And I think I know the answer. I'd love to be an interior designer. I knew it. I knew it was coming. (laughs) Really? What is an underappreciated business tool that you couldn't live without? Mm, good communication skills. Um, what's your productivity life hack? Do the things you hate the most first. And what does success mean to you? Freedom. Fantastic. Thank you. And I think the productivity life hack is something that I notice um, throughout my conversation with successful people. Um, they do the things they hate first. On the on the opposite other on the other side are people who are not yet there, not yet that successful, and because they leave those things to the very very last possible moment, procrastination being the king. And I think I'm one of them, unfortunately. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, listen, we talked uh, uh, about uh, little steps and uh, not looking too far ahead. So, what is the little next little step for you? So the next little step is I'm working on my second book which I'm very excited about. I cannot give too much away, but um, it's a combination of food and social media and I think something very timely. So getting that written and published 
that's my that's my next big chunky piece. Awesome. Sounds exciting. Self-published or with a publisher? With a publisher this time. All right, then good luck with that. Thank you so much for joining and sharing your expertise and being awesome both on audio and on video. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. Thanks a lot. While we're waiting for Kimberly's next book, I hope you are waiting for the very next episode of Careers 2.0. Join me. See you then.